Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings. Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel. As John tells us as he begins his gospel, the Son of God was the Word that ignited creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. David prophesied of the Messiah, and he hinted at the great mystery of the Godhead in Psalm 2 when he asked this question. He said, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak of them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed all the, are they that put their trust in him. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, as we gather today on this uh, Lord's Day that many are celebrating as Mother's Day. And today we are celebrating the good and lovely mothers that you have given us. Many of us, uh, we don't have a mother that is living still today. We've lost our mothers. But Lord, we understand that you have given us the church to be our mother. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, that the tenderness uh, that you put in each woman, O oh God, that to, to nurture the children that you have given them, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would see that love and personal tenderness, Lord, in the church, Lord, that its leaders, 
uh, would lead in a tender and instruct in a tender and gentle way. Lord, we pray today as we come before you, Lord, that you would forgive our sins. We pray as we listen for your voice that you would speak to us. And we pray as we hunger and thirst after righteousness that you would fill us. Lord, change us today that when we leave today, we will leave different. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. standing for just a moment as I read to you my sermon text. My sermon today is entitled Home in Our Hearts and it is from John chapter 14 verses 16 through 20. Home in Our Hearts. John 14 16 says this, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. And that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that when we hear your word, you speak to us. Today, we pray that you would speak to us and change us. Lord, that you would fill our hearts with joy and contentment and peace, peace that does not pass away as the world's peace does. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all the church said... Amen. You may be seated. We are now in week 89 of our series, The Life of Christ in the Four Gospels. We're in the final hours of the life of Christ before his crucifixion. And even though we're in the final hours, we still have many weeks to go because, as I was explaining last week, John 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all of it. John even, I believe, goes to John 21. All goes to the end, end of the life of Christ. We get a lot here in these last chapters of the book of John. <clears throat> he and the disciples have shared their last supper together. And as it says in John 13, Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of the world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and that he was going to go to God, he, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. Next he washed his disciples' feet, showing them how that in love they were to do like he did. They were to serve one another like uh, servants who washed the feet of those who came into the house. That this, this would be the way that the kingdom of God would come from heaven to earth in this humble service toward one another. And in the past two weeks, we've talked about 
what Jesus did next. He began to show his disciples the way home. Everybody say the way home. John begins this let, in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in, in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Remember what we talked about? Home is where Jesus is, right? And he's going to his Father, and he's preparing a place for us, and that's going to be our home too. And so what he's doing here is he's showing the disciples the way home. The way home for Jesus was to the Father. The way home for us is to where the Father and the Son are together. Last week we learned that the way home is a way that we don't want to go. My message called Not This Way reminded us that death is the only way to life. And the cry of our flesh says, no, I don't want to go this way. We've learned that the way home, though, is the way of death. Our flesh wants to live, but flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. Like seeds that must be buried in the soil, we must go into the darkness of death before we can live. Death is the way home. We don't want this, and we cry out against it, but we must die daily to our own will that is contrary to the will of God and His commands. And when we do this, we die. But after that, we do what? We, we live. We live lives more abundantly as we deny our flesh and what we want to do. And we die to those things. We begin to live better, more beautiful lives than we ever would have or could have otherwise lived. As bad as death is in the new life that follows, our resurrection is the only way home. Our lives here, as great as they can be, though, must be shed for our final resurrection. One day we're going to die, Luke. One day it'll be our last day. We don't know when that's going to be, but that's not going to be an easy passage. But it is the passage that will take us to our final resurrection. When we see our lives as worth spending, being willing to be spent for God, martyred if necessary... You know, we were singing Faith of Our Fathers, and I was thinking, now there's a, uh, there's a recipe or an inoculation against discontentment. You know, Andy was talking about the Apostle Paul movie. You know, uh, it'd be a little hard to go complain to the Apostle Paul that you don't have an indoor basketball court. You know, if he's there in the Roman jail, you know, and he's being flogged, and uh, he's cold, and he doesn't have his garment with him, and, and he's uh, being isolated from his friends. But there, even in that prison cell, he, what, he wrote these words. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, I've learned how to be rich. I've learned how to be poor. He goes, but I've learned that whatever state I am, that's the state I will glorify God in because I will glorify God in my body. Amen? Whether it be by life or by death. He said, I'm even in a straight betwixt too. Whether the best thing to do is to die and depart and to be with Christ. Or to live. He said to live is Christ. But to die is what? Is gain. And so here he was struggling even in that prison cell though. Uh, understanding contentment probably better than he could have learned it at a home with an indoor basketball court. Seeing our lives as worth spending. Being willing to be spent to be martyred is nothing less 
than the way home to heaven. As horrible as it may seem, the Bible says it is not to be compared with the glory that will follow. Death is the way home. Now to give us more understanding about the glory of our eternal home, Jesus told them that although he was going to die and his flesh was going to leave them, he was not going to leave them alone. He was going to the Father, but the Father was going to send another comforter to them that would never leave them. This comforter would not only guide them into all truth, he would not only guide them home, he would take them home. The comforter is the way home. So death is the way home, and the comforter is the way home too. We see here John 14, an extraordinary look into a great mystery of God one that certainly our fathers who lived during the Old Testament period had very little clue of. The mystery of the Trinity. Everybody say the Trinity. As we read this passage in John 14 and we look at how Jesus introduces this powerful and beautiful doctrine. The stunning revelation about the nature of God. There's only one God. Everybody say there is only one God. This has always been a hallmark of Old Testament theology, and it is a hallmark of New Testament theology too. Those who misunderstand this doctrine improperly divide God in a way that He is not divided. There are not three gods. We don't pray to one and pray to the other one and try to keep to make sure that we're nice to all three and as though there are somehow three gods. There are not three gods. There never have been. We heard this over as Jeff read for us in Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no Savior beside me. There's not three gods who've been posing and masquerading as one God. There is one God and His name is one. While the rest of the world followed a myriad of gods, the Israelites were radically monotheistic. It was stark in its contrast from every religion of mankind who had turned from the true God of heaven and began creating these countless gods in their own image. If you look up the Roman gods, the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods, they make gods like them. Zeus is, you know, a spoiled, rotten uh, god, you know. If you go down and you go start going through the different gods of the, the Romans, and probably Nathaniel uh, might be able to name off a few better than me, but if you went to uh, Egypt and you have Osiris and... You know, you have many gods. All these gods are like people. Have you guys ever read about these gods? You know, they're angry. They're jealous. They do this. They get in trouble. They, you know, all kinds of stuff that goes on. Man made a myriad of gods that were like him. But God's not like us. God's not petty. He doesn't lie. He doesn't fail. He doesn't falter, right? And his jealousy is a jealousy that is proper. But he is not like us. Through the prophet Isaiah, as we heard in our Old Testament reading today, God would need to declare the simple truth again and again because man would cease to believe it. I am the Lord and there is none else. There are no gods beside me. In fact, the defining mantra of the children of Israel was embodied in the first words of God's commands, also known as the Shema. Say the Shema. The Shema was the definition. If you were going to take and embody the religion, they would say it's the Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The oneness of God has been and it still is a central, uh, central to the faith of our fathers and our holy religion. 
But as we read in the passage of John 14, we can see that the revelation of the nature of the God is, is expanded here in a way. And there's a word that Jesus uses. I want you to look. We will, as I read through some of this passage, you're going to look for the word henceforth. Everybody say henceforth. Paul, Jesus is going to say, you know, you haven't understood something before, but from henceforth, you're going to know something that you've never known. And so, as it was revealed to them, let us read how it was revealed to us. I'm going to start back at the beginning of the passage in John 14.1, and we'll work through it a little bit here uh, until we get far enough that we need to stop because we're going to keep working through this over the coming weeks. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, Jesus is declaring something here. He's helping them to understand something that, that they may not have fully comprehended. If you remember, Jesus was asking them, who do you think I am? Do you guys remember this? Who do men say that I am? They would say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're this. Some say that, right? And you remember what Peter said? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this was revelatory. Peter's like, that's right. I know who you are, Jesus. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So they understood that he was the Christ. He was the Son of the living God. But what did that mean? This meant that he was not merely a man, but that he himself was God in the flesh. Okay? You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, he's not really helped, he's not really given them an understanding that there is a, and, and honestly, words almost fail me to even describe this. I hate to even use words like there is a division. I, I, there is no division in God. But there is a distinction in, in the Godhead, not a division. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's, he's telling them there's God, the Father of heaven, the God of creation that you are familiar with. He's there. But also you should believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare, prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know not the way. Thomas said, Lord... We know not whether you go or how. Can we know the way? Jesus said, who, what did he say? I am the, I'm the way. He's, Jesus didn't just come to show them the way. He was the way. Amen? He wasn't just coming to show them the light. He was the light. He just wasn't coming to bring them to life, but he said, I am the what? I am the life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This is a pretty hardcore declaration. This is basically saying that your forefathers, that your Jewish forefathers, that all of the great men that you know, none of them can get to the Father except through me. They must receive me. Receive me not only as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, come in the flesh, but they must have faith in me as God. And this is where he's taking them. You believe in God, but you need to believe in who? You need to believe in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The way home is to the Father. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. Now here's where he's starting to say something that sounds confusing. 
But it's not confusing when we look at it in light of the doctrine he is revealing, the revelation about himself. If you had known me, you would have known my father. Now, he's starting to tell them something that's a little bit difficult. I mean, they knew he could do miracles. They knew he could walk on water, right? They knew he was special and they knew he was sent from God. They believed he was the anointed one sent from God, but they didn't understand that he himself was God. And so here he is. He said, if you had known me, you should have known my father. And from henceforth, everybody said, from henceforth. So right here, he's declaring something very different. From this point forward, from, from this moment forward, henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Now, this is, this is pretty wild. Now, he had... He had hinted to some of these things before they would ask him questions about Abraham. And he, remember what he said? Before Abraham was, I am. And they're like, holy mackerel, what did he just say? And they went to take out stones to kill him because they're like, this guy's claiming to be God. So Jesus said, I'm sure this is going to be difficult for you, but from henceforth you know him and you have seen him. Now, I'm sure this was difficult for them from what Philip asked next, and we'll see what it was. It sounds like Jesus is saying he's the Father. If you really have understood who I am, you would understand who the Father is, and from this point you will know the Father and see him. Philip doesn't understand in verse, in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father. He's talking about the Father. He's going home to the Father. He's telling them you've seen the Father. You know, he's like, well, we, we, we're not seeing the Father. We, we, we don't see him. Could you show us the Father? Philip says, show us the Father, and that would, that, that'll be good for us. It will suffice us. This was the same Philip who was focused on what they didn't have the day Jesus was feeding the 5,000. He was like, we don't have enough. We can't, we can't do this. You know, he, he doesn't go and see what do we have. He doesn't see what we have. Philip asked the question, Shows he wasn't, even, he wasn't listening to Jesus, or maybe he just wasn't comprehending. So he asked Jesus to show in the Father. They knew that God was sending the Messiah, that he was man, but they had failed to comprehend that he was not only man, but he was God. Jesus was not merely a man sent from God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Paul later told the Colossians in Colossians 2.9, which is part of uh, our coming memorization, that in Christ, it says, uh, Colossians 2, 9, that all the fullness of the Godhead dwell in him bodily. Now, how on earth that can be, I have no idea. This is certainly a mystery. How can all of God dwell in a man? And what we will understand, we will begin to understand as Christ begins to teach us, how this, he will explain to us how this can be. How can all of God and what he means is the all of the essence of God in Christ Jesus was dwelling. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. Jesus responded to Philip, his question here in verse 9. He says, have I been so long time with you that you don't know who I am, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. So how do you want me? How, how is it that you say to me, show me the Father? You hear what Jesus is saying? You're saying, show me the Father. And I'm saying, hey, if you've seen me, you have what? You've seen the Father. You see, God is a spirit. He is invisible. You can't look at God. Now, God can appear in a burning bush. He can appear in a hand and write on the wall 
uh, meeny, meeny, tickle you Ferrison for Belteshazzar and his crew. He can appear in the clouds and mighty ways, but God hath not a body like man. And he had not a body like man until the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and God became man and lived in flesh. God didn't have a body, but now the body that you could see that is God in the flesh is who? It's Jesus Christ. Have I been so long with you and have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say, show us the Father? So Jesus begins to say this in verse 10. Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you are not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. I was telling Jonathan that when I was in uh, school, when I was a, a child and I was learning what a preposition was, it, how many of you homeschoolers know what a preposition is? Come on. Any of you know preposition? Not a proposition. A preposition, okay? A preposition, just for you, this is a good math, this is a math lesson, yeah. This is a good English lesson for you all. A preposition is anything you can do to a cloud. Corinne, can you remember this? You can be in a cloud, and you can be out of a cloud. You can be above a cloud, you can be below a cloud. You can go through a cloud. You can be beside a cloud. You can be with a cloud. You got it? A preposition. And if you read this passage, you will hear, in with, through, and you'll hear this over and over and over because he's explaining something that's certainly very mysterious and very difficult, but it's not impossible to understand. He said, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. But then he later says, you're in me too. And he said, I am with you, just kind of like being with a cloud, but I shall be in you. And so this whole thing is really one big gigantic preposition, uh, you know, explanation of God. I'm in you and you're in me. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. The Holy Ghost is with you and I am with you, but he shall be in you. There's a lot of prepositions going on in John chapter 14. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, else believe me for thy very work's sake. Now don't miss this. He sounds like he's repeating himself in verses 10 and 11. Okay? Now we talk about as Christians, you might miss what he's saying here. God has spoken to man from heaven. He has moved on his prophets. You know, I get to preaching and I preach right past everything in my notes here, so I get excited. So, In verse 10, he says this. I'll read it again for you. Believe, believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And you can see they put a question mark here. Now I know there were not punctuation in, in the Greek like we have it, but this is certainly a question. The words that I speak to you, they are not of myself, but the Father dwells in me, he does the work. So he says, you know, basically it's rhetorical. Believe thou not that I am in the Father, right? 10. Verse 11 though, he says, believe me that I am in the Father. So the first is a question, even though it may be rhetorical, but the second is a declaration. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? Verse 11, believe me, I am in the Father. So the second one is a declaration. So Jesus moves beyond. You Before questioning this would be fine, but now it's not questionable. Believe me, he's commanding it. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Else believe me for my very work's sake. Now, 
I was telling the men up here before service, as Christians, we kind of have a Christianity 101 thing that sometimes would cause us to miss what's going on here. They were not comprehending this. They were not understanding what he was talking about, what it means to be, you know, for God to be in us, okay? Now, God has spoken from heaven. He had moved on prophets. Everybody say on. This is a preposition. On prophets, right? And there were times he, he filled them uh, temporarily, right? He had given his prophets power to perform miracles, healings, mighty deeds like the parting of the Red Sea. God's prophets were often said to be filled with the Spirit. It was like they had taken a breath of God. They were exhaling it, though, when they spoke. It wasn't like they had God in them. They had God who was working through them. What Jesus began to teach them here would make all the difference in the world. What seems like Christianity 101 to us, that God does not merely deal with us or talk to us, but that he lives in us, was very new in their way of thinking. Now, most of you think, well, of course, he lives in me, right? Christ lives in me. This was something that was very strange to them. How, the, how could God live in, in a man? They would not just have occasional access to the source they would become the sources themselves. They would become fountains of life. Remember what John 7 says, Jesus stood on the great day of the feast and he said, if any man believe in me, right, what will happen? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Before man could access God, like you could go to a well. But what was happening in Christ is that man was not going to be going to a well, but that he would become the well, because Christ himself would live inside of him. He would not just be able to breathe in a little bit of God and breathe it back out, right? You know, as spoken like a prophet, speaking the words of God. But God himself would be in him and he would speak through him. And this is a very big difference in the theology that they had before. This was Jesus showing them the way home. The only way home for them was to have God live inside of them. And as he was starting to unpack the nature of God and the Godhead in a way, he was trying to explain, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, you're in me, I'm in, you know, and there's all this stuff going on for them. And so he says, to live life more abundantly, he promised that they would need a constant source of God's power. After they had lived this life and their bodies would die. That same source that would give them the power to live lives abundantly would raise their bodies up to go to heaven. There is no way to heaven for man by himself. He cannot get there on his own efforts, under his own steam. He can only be brought there by God. Now, your pastor is not a gimmicky pastor, but I got a little one gimmicky for you today. Because as I was thinking about this, how, how, many, how many of you know what this is? It's a very sophisticated thing here. I know, never ever have I ever blown a balloon up while preaching a sermon. Haven't never done this, okay? Please, don't forgive me, just pay attention. You guys watching this? So, so you see this balloon? You know, the Bible says that God created man out of the dust of the earth. And what did he do? He... He breathed into him the breath of life. The man became a living soul. Now, I didn't tell my wife about this because I was afraid she'd shoot me down. Uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of it, so i got to keep going. Okay, so, so I want to use the balloon here to try to make a picture. 
So now, if, if, if I wanted to go, if, if I was this balloon and I wanted to go to heaven, right? Can I get there? Ready? Wait a minute. Oh, it's not going up, right? It's not going up. Where did it go? Just leave it there. Leave it there. All right. Well, maybe there's another one here. Say, you know, maybe, maybe, oh, man. Right? Right? So think about it this way. We, you know, here we are. I got another And we want to get to heaven. But we just can't get there. We just can't get there. Basically, all we can do is, is make a little noise, right? Right? But what God does with the little something else in the balloon, right? He takes man. He comes and lives inside of us because Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, right? He says, I'm going, but I'm going to be in you. And what's going to happen if he's in us? It's going to happen. He can take us. And I know this is a little simple analogy, but it's the truth. We cannot get to heaven on our own. It's impossible. I was trying to explain this to Rebecca. She's like, here I am. I'm with my daughter. How old are you? 16, right? And, and we're driving around and I'm asking, is she 16? She's 16. And I'm asking her, she's like, Dad, why are you asking me this question? I, I want to know if she knows how to get to heaven. Dad, why are you asking me this? I'm a 16-year-old girl. I'm like, because I want to know if you know how. That's why. Folks, we cannot get to heaven on our own. There's nothing we can do. There's, there, there's, there's nothing we can get. There's nothing we can fill ourselves up with. There's no way to get there unless God comes into us and fills us with His Holy Spirit and takes us to heaven. The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us up. Amen? Folks, we've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus was going to die, but because he was filled with the Spirit of God, he was not bound to this world. He would return to the Father. Up, up and away he would go. This is like both types of resurrection we talked about last week. God takes a man who's dead in his trespasses and sins. He fills him with his Spirit and he gives him the power to live like he will in heaven. Folks, not only can you not make it to heaven, you can't even have a life that is the kind of life that, that, that God has for you unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to be talking in the coming weeks what this means. You know, I, I listened to John Piper. Uh, you know, I was thankful that my phone wouldn't work and I couldn't watch the news. And, and I was trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get thinner. I know I need it. I apologize to all of you that I'm as big as I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thin out, try to get, I'm going to try to get robust, Okay. Try to get in shape. So I'm on my treadmill and I'm listening to John Piper and, and something he said really, really resonated with me. He said, what is all this talk in the Bible about being filled with the Holy Spirit if we already have it? Right? I mean, the Bible says that we have it. What is this about? And in the coming weeks, we're going, I'm going to talk to you about what this is about. Now, 
One is about being filled with the Spirit in our daily walk with God here on earth. And another one is about being filled with the Spirit. Folks, we're going to heaven. God is going to see to that. He's going to take us where we could never take ourselves. But the lives that we live right now, are we filled with the Spirit? It's a good question to ask. And what does it mean? Because there are several declarations throughout Scripture that says that we need to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, when it gives qualifications for deacons and when it gives qualifications for elders, it said these men need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul declared in Galatians chapter 5 that we are not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. There is a constant filling. Is that happening to you? Are you filled with the Spirit? What are you filling your heart and mind with? Are you entertaining your life away? Are you living your life trying to keep busy? Are you working for your own uh, whatever? Or are you working hard to do what God has given you to do? Are you filling up your heart? Are you asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Are you drinking deep of the wells of God in your daily life? It's a good question to ask. We're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. You see, the Spirit of God living in us is our only way home. How will it happen? How can it happen for ordinary people like us? We know how God came to live in the man Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary, filled with the Spirit from the very start. How could we be filled with that same Spirit? And in the coming weeks, we'll talk about it. Now, let's hear what Jesus says next. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. This right here has been one of the, this has been a very difficult passage for me. Jesus did a lot of incredible things, but he tells us that we can do more and we will do. People that are filled with the Spirit of God will do more incredible things than Jesus did. I think, a lot of the, I think we don't do a lot of things because we're not pursuing God. We're not filled with the Spirit. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask... Anything in my name I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter. So Jesus is starting to give them some insight. The way that he introduces this, uh, this subject here in verse 16. I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Now, as Jesus is talking about this, he's not saying it. Are you listening to that? The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a him. And here we have, uh, not only we'll have prepositions here, but we also have these pronouns happening too. Jesus uses the word I, and he uses the word he, and he uses the word him, and he uses the word we. He's using some pronouns here that we need to pay attention to as well as some prepositions even the spirit of truth whom the, whom the world can not receive because it seeth him not 
neither know of him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. So, there was a not yet happening here. He's with you right now, but he shall be where? He shall be in you. You guys understand that this was the great prophet promise of Joel, right? And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, right? That God's going to pour out his spirit. You remember what it, he said when Jesus left, he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the what? For the promise of the Father. What is that? Or we should say, who is that? What was, what was the promise of the Father? He said, go and I'm going, you're going to be endued with power from on high. What happened? Don't you remember what happened? Jesus dies. He tells them to wait for the promise. And the promise comes in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. See, he wasn't with them. Now he was where? He was in them. Jesus is kind of letting them know. He had let them know, hey, I'm going to die and I'm not going to be with you. But just so you know, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send. The Father's going to send. And, and, and this goes back and forth. The Father will send. I'm going to send. He can say both things. Well, who is it? It's kind of like who's on first. That's right. So, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees Him not, neither know them. But you know Him, for He dwells with you. Everybody say, with you. But he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come to them. But now he's saying he was going to come. Right? Yet a little while the world seeth me no more. But you see me because I live. You shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father. And ye in me and I in you. Here's a lot of. A lot of prepositions, right, Jonathan? You'll know that I'm in my Father, you in me, and I in you. He that, he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he, is, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest him to me. So Judas is here. Now, not Judas Iscariot, but Jude, the guy who writes the book of Jude. Uh... He said, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, this is actually one of the great, beautiful things about God. The fact that, we can't, that the world can't see him, we can't see him either. But we know he's here. He visits us. He's in us. He speaks through us. He does mighty things through us. But the world can't see him. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And we, everybody say we. Now Jesus is saying this, we will come. We who? Well, me and the Father. We will come unto him and we will make our abode with him. Can you see all these odd things? Jesus is saying, I'm leaving and I'm going away, but I'm going to send another one. But I'm with you. I shall be in you. This Holy Spirit is with you, but it shall be in you. My Father and I are going to come and make our abode with you. There's a lot going on here. This is very difficult in a sense but basically what he's saying is that God is going to come and live inside of you just like God came to live inside of the man Christ Jesus God is going to come the fullness of the Godhead is going to dwell in who? 
It's going to dwell in us. That's an amazing thing. Jesus answered, if a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear not mine, but my Father's which sent me, the things I have spoken to you, being present with you. Folks, my message today is home in our hearts because home is coming to live in our hearts. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Somehow, I don't understand it exactly how, but Jesus is saying, me and my Father are going to make our abode. Our Father is going to send a comfort who's with you, but He shall be in you. He's talking about that God, Almighty God, is somehow going to fill us. And we find out how this is. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said. Peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said, I go away and come again to you. If you love me, you will rejoice because I said I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, and it shall come to pass, when it is to come to pass, that you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. And have nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, even so do I. Arise and let us go. Jesus is introducing to his disciples this incredible doctrine of the Trinity. As mysterious as it was that a man could have and embody God in the flesh in a little baby in Bethlehem, as mysterious as it was, as strange as it was that he could walk the shores of Galilee, that he would eat, that he could be killed by man, but that he could live and be resurrected, as mysterious as it was, what God was doing and preparing for us is mysterious as well and powerful as well. Adults and children alike, you know, this may sound funny to be saying, I, but I'm going to say it. You know, one of the... the the things that has helped me when sin and temptation has come upon me is not just that God is watching me, but that God's inside of me. That He's with me. In, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul explains that, we, that what we do, we unite God with what we do in our bodies. How many want to unite God with lying and jealousy and covetousness and adultery I don't. So God comes to live in us. The way we live matters. The way we talk to others matters. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible said, like James said, how is it that out of us this fountain, this, this flows? It, it, here we have salt water and sweet. Here we have blessings and cursings coming out of the same. It ought not be like this. Stop it. We're to be holy in all manner of conversation. God is not just coming to do something for us. He's not just coming to do something to us, but that God is coming to live in us. And where we go, He goes. And what we do, He does. How many, want, how, how many just thinking on that makes, it, makes you want to think about what you do? I do. He's introducing this. We're going to talk more about the Trinity. We're going to talk more about being filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk... More about these things in the weeks and months to come. 
even though it's mysterious, it's actually pretty plain. God, Jesus came, He died on the cross, He lived as a man, He came so that God could live inside of us. And because He lives in us, we're not just living this kind of life, but because He's in us, we can live that kind of life. Can you see the picture with me today? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us, Lord. We thank you for the power of your Spirit. Lord, we can't do anything good on our own. Lord, we try and we work at it, O oh God, but we are powerless. We are lifeless, O oh God. When mankind sinned against you and chose his own way and his own will, he died that day. And there was no way to heaven for him. You promised that there would come a day when that would end. And you came in the flesh. I heard as Jeff was reading in Isaiah, I am the Lord and there is none else. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We know now how they will do that and who they will do it to because you came in the flesh and it will be at the feet of Jesus the Messiah, our Lord, God with us, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. We know how you will sit upon a throne because you'll have a body to do so. Lord, I pray that our bodies, that our bodies would be given to you as Christ's body was given. Lord, that we would be willing to deny our flesh, that we would be willing to sacrifice our lives and to be martyred for the gospel. What a glorious thing that would be if we could be. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would know that we are not left here to figure it out on our own or left here to just read the words of God and figure out how to do things. But Lord, that you live in us. As Paul wrote in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. Oh God, may we understand that the goodness that comes from our hands, that the goodness that comes from our lips are not our own goodness, but it is yours. And in doing so, there's no pride in our good words and our good deeds, oh God, but there is humility in knowing that by our own we can do no good thing. Oh Lord, we're going to heaven and the way home has been shown to us by our Savior Jesus. And will be done for us and in us and through us by the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.